2: Welcome to Many Happy Miles, a podcast that celebrates all type of forward movement. Whether it's a bike ride for ice cream or a stage of the Tour de France Femmes, the women's version of the Tour de France, which starts on July 23rd, by the way. Sarah and I are here to say yay to all that kind of movement and bring on guests to inspire you to move with joy. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wassner
3: Flynn, and I'm saying yay to this slice of cheesecake that my son just delivered to me right before we started this podcast. It is delicious. You just said ice cream, and I was like, oh, I'm a lucky lady right now having this strawberry cheesecake right here. Well, did you have to just <laughs> stare
2: at it looking at you, or were you able to maybe have a bite before we started?
3: I didn't even have a bite before we started. It was just this perfect slice of cheesecake that I will dig into as soon as we're done with this podcast. And then I'm going to work out, not because I'm eating cheesecake, but I also have time to work out after this. So this is not a bad day. You've got a nice,
2: I like that you've structured your day so beautifully. I'm podcast, I'm cheesecake, I'm workout. That's very good. That's very good. exactly.
3: Yes. Yes. And then maybe I'll go set a world record because that's what we're talking about. I know, I know. Well, so tell (laughs) me, Um,
2: you said that you witnessed a, world record? I've never witnessed a world record like in person or at least one that I know of. Yes. I
3: mean, I grew up just devouring the Guinness Book of World Records and that was my favorite book. It's no wonder that I ended up working with National Geographic Kids because that's all fact-based and we did a lot of um, play off of of Guinness and ended up incorporating a Guinness world Records section in the magazine that started when I was just an editorial assistant there. And one of the years, right before I left the magazine, they decided to every year incorporate the readers and into a, a world record. And so they did it several times, but one year was shoes. It was very appropriate for, for where I was in my life. It was running shoes or sneakers around the building of the National Geographic headquarters, which is in DC. And it was the world's longest line
2: of running or sneakers, they called it. So I helped with that. (laughs) Okay. Random, random. I mean, is that something that you would get verified or not?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's this man named Stuart. I can't remember his last name. I, I don't know if he's still involved, but he was like Mr. Guinness. And he would come with his blazer and (laughs) I've seen him verify other, I mean, my, my editor at the time, Rachel was like very involved with this and she did all these meetings and all of this back and forth. And it was a long time coming because he had to fly in and he had to be there with his counter and count all the shoes and they had to be logged. And it was incredible. It was an incredible effort and I can't even remember how many pairs of shoes it was. It was a lot of shoes because kids would send them from all over the world. And we had a depository. And then we'd have to go. We One day in the summer, we lined up all the shoes around the building. And it was a Guinness World Record. And so I was like, I guess I can say I finally made it into the Guinness <laughs> Book World Record after reading this thing since I was could read. Yeah, yeah. they
2: put it in there. And then it's like shoe handler, Sarah Wasner Flynn. Okay.
3: <laughs> There's no, no mention of me. I think it's just... If you look it up, the longest line of sneakers is National Geographic Building, you know, X amount of sneakers wrapped around National Geographic Building and, you know, whatever year it was. But they they went on to do some other cool things. It usually has had something to do with them. Recycling, like these were repurposed. Obviously, people were donating their shoes and then they were going to go on to become... Playground equipment or whatever you do with the rubber from the shoe. So um, they're always like very earth friendly ideas because that's the vibe of National Geographic kids. And so it was neat. But that is the only world record I've I've witnessed. I mean, other than watching things on TV with running and swimming and everything like that. But um, that's the only how about and you said
2: you haven't ever been. A Jason. I haven't been adjacent. I haven't <laughs> been. I can't think of one thing. Maybe like a marathon where someone like juggled and I saw them, you know, like the New York City Marathon or something. But no, nothing that comes mm-hmm. to mind. But the record that we're going to talk about today is awesome. When we first read about the 100 by one mile relay world record, we knew we had to bring on some of the participants to talk about their experience because it's just so fascinating. Unlike many other world records set these days, this one was a collective effort, and while it was super impressive, it also seems somewhat attainable.
3: In other words, you didn't have to be a Faith Kibyegan-level runner to set this record. This record was set by 100 different women from the San Francisco area on June 3rd. Each woman ran one mile around the track at San Francisco State's Cox Stadium with the collective effort taking nine hours, 18 minutes, and 32 seconds, beating the former record set in 1999 by the Canadian Women's Milers Club by more than five minutes. That's an average of $5.35 Five thirty-five per runner.
2: Wow, that is very impressive. So to hear more about this effort, we brought on Relay Organizer Sean Sachs as well as runners Sarah Swanger and Peggy Lavelle to spill all the details. Welcome, Sean, first. We're going to talk to you. So, hi, Sean.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having us.
3: So, Sean, we're going to start with you. And as the organizer of the event, we just need to know, how did you first get the idea to do a Women's 100 by 1 Mile Relay?
4: Well, the event actually goes back to the 1970s. And in San Francisco, one of our running clubs called DSC, Dolphin South End, uh, actually set the world record back in 1977. And the record went back and forth between other clubs and DSC through the 90s. And most recently in 1997, when San Francisco had the record. But then in 1999, Canadian women Uh, set that record. And it was a very fast time. And it stood until now. But I noticed the record when uh, my club and their newsletter published an article about the 1977 relay. I'd never heard about the event before. And one of my neighbors ran lead off in 1977. I was like, wow, that's kind of wild. So I started researching it, uh, learned more about it and thought, hey, we should do this again.
2: It's time. Do you know if there was between, you know, 2023 and 1999, like, do you know if there were t- attempts to take that record down or were you guys the, the first one in almost a quarter of a century?
4: I don't know if there were other women's teams that attempted to break that record. I do know on the men's side, Canadians uh, set the record in 1998 and a couple of times American teams, US teams have tried to break the record and have failed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's possible people have tried, but not succeeded. Nice. Nice.
2: Well, and I we just have to know uh, yourself, obviously it sounds like you're a pretty avid runner. Do you run the miles, Sean, or or do you just, do you just want to put a hundred women through that?
4: <laughs> well, I, I run, but I run much further because I'm much slower and don't have mile speed. So it was just, it was something that seemed manageable mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of time. And, and we live in a, big enough area where we would have enough women that can run fast enough to do that. So I just thought we were well located for it. But me personally, Hmm. no, I am not capable of going below six minutes in the mile. So I had no hopes of qualifying for this team.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, so talk a little bit about the logistics of getting the team together. Like, how did you find 100 women who were capable of running fast enough to set the record?
4: Well, I started a little over... A year before the we ran the relay and started recruiting people, Mm -hmm. uh, talking to running clubs, talking to track coaches, both at the high school level and college, local colleges, and then there's quite a large number of women, including the women who are on podcast today, who belong to clubs that feature competitive running. You know, from mid twenties up until the. 70s and maybe even some women in their 80s. So there are a lot of, you know competitively running women in the area. So it was just finding a way to get in touch with them, get the word out. And then when people would hear about it, people were really, really enthusiastic about it. A lot of women uh, who maybe had run in college, remember running relays is like the best part of their track experience when they're in college. Mm -hmm. people like the relay feeling they like being part of a team for something that's usually so solitary. So when people heard like, Hey, I could be part of a legitimate track world record and I get to do it as part of a team. Um, it wasn't really a sell. It was just more finding a date where we could get everybody together.
3: Right. So how did that call come to place? Like how did you determine the date, the location? the race order, like how did that, what did that all look like?
4: So the running calendar is incredibly full. Like, you know, there's always some big race, big event going on, Uh, but we wanted to have people that were going to be, you know, kind of at at their peak training. So we decided to come after the school track season. And so basically had to wait for, you know, looking at the calendar, following the state track meet for high school in California. And that kind of became the benchmarker. That's when we would have our high school athletes were going to be in their best shape at a time when their coaches would actually let them do something that wasn't, you know, a school-related track. So we followed that season. Then we had to find the track. And one of the challenges in this particular record is that we're running a mile distance for every runner But all the tracks now in the United States are metric Mm -hmm. tracks. So there's no track that's ready to go as is. You couldn't just go out and just say, we're going to run 100 women because the the, the tracks aren't set up for that. They're set up for 400 meters. Mm -hmm. So we had to find the location, but then we also had to get a surveyor and do a lot of math and figure out how to convert the track into the, the proper distance.
3: Yeah, and just to clarify, so I'm a track coach. So a uh, mile is sixteen oh nine meters. Tracks are four hundred meters, so four times around is sixteen hundred. But you had to add that nine meters, right? So you had different, I imagine, different exchange zones.
4: No, because you need a you need a. Th- this is kind of getting into the weeds, but you need a fixed <laughs> start stop line when you have a hundred people. Because if you were to, uh, everybody were to to travel the right distance. And then you just move it. You'd be moving your start line, you know, around okay. the track a couple of times, mm-hmm. yeah, which is just not practical. So we uh, figured out how to extend one of the lanes the proper distance to create a uniform lap for everybody.
2: Got it. Okay. okay. Wow. Well, so how did you? Put, and how did you put the order? Like, how, first of all, how many high schoolers and like collegiate athletes did you have versus people who are not in school anymore?
4: Uh, we had a little over 20 high school athletes running. That's cool. And originally, I thought we were going to be able to get more of our current collegiate athletes to run because we do have a few schools within San Francisco with track programs. But for various reasons, the timing and the way their schedules worked out, they didn't run. So we basically went with a lot of very fast young ladies who will be running in college shortly with... Uh, a lot of post collegiate runners. Okay, mm-hmm.
3: so we were wondering too, Sean. Like, did you have tryouts, or did you just go by like, okay, you you you've run, you know, and you ran in college. We trust that you can run an average of X time. Like, how did that work out?
4: In the beginning, I had envisioned having some kind of time trials just to double check people's times, but except for the high school runners who are always you know, they're running regularly, it's measured, it's easy to confirm and double check. Mm -hmm. A lot of the women are just running much longer distances and they're running Mm -hmm. them quite often, but you have to sort of trust that they know what their mile time would be. So, you know, if you're dealing with women who are ultra marathoners or marathoners, they're not really going to do mile time trials, but they run a lot and they know a lot about themselves. And we went with the honor system. And it worked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was a little nerve wracking the honor right. system, but, it, yeah. but it, you know, p- people were ran pretty close to what time they basically pledged to be able to run on the day. That's cool.
3: And you had some people like Nessa Frazier, who's a pro athlete, who ran like four thirty. So right, or she did she run under five?
4: Yeah, N- Nessa ran under five, and she was awesome. Uh, just in terms of you know volunteering her energy and support in, in promoting the event. But on the day of the relay, we actually had two women that ran faster than Nessa. Okay. And just to, to uh, you know, in Nessa's defense, she's a 10K specialist. She's not a miler. So it was impressive that a couple of women were able to run faster than her, but, but this is not her distance.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: But that built a cushion for the other ladies too.
4: Yeah. So we would... In putting together the team, you're thinking about the overall time and also weighing other goals that we had in the relay. If your goal was to run the absolute fastest relay time possible, it would be completely time-based. Like, you know, if you could only run this fast, you could make it. But that wasn't what our focus was. We were looking at bringing together as much of the San Francisco running community together as possible. And that means from prep runners to women who've been running, you know, are lifelong runners. So runners like Peggy. So Peggy, who's, you know, here today, this is her fourth time doing this type of relay. So she was on the 1977 team and two other teams since then. And to accommodate women that, you know, that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, we had time allowance for them. But you're you're setting up a team based on the overall time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's going to be people that are going to run sub five minutes and there's going to be some people that are going to run just outside of six minutes. And it was just getting the right mix where we could be collectively fast enough to break the record, yeah. uh, but still represent all our different running clubs that we have in the city, uh, women who are running different types of things like our ultra marathoners, triathletes, and you know, I think we did a great job representing everybody and including having women who were very pregnant when they were running the race. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. well, let's bring on some of those runners. Thank you, Sean. Peggy, Peggy Lavelle, as we said, you mentioned Sean, she had the honor of being the anchor leg and rightfully so. She was part of the first relay attempt in 1977, or actually the first when they did set the record. She was just 16, and then later she participated in two more record attempts, as Sean mentioned, in 1995 and 1997. So welcome, Peggy. We're excited to have you. Great to be here. So cool. Um, So tell us a little bit about your running background. You know, Obviously, you've been a runner since you were 16. Have you kept it up consistently, and, and what started you running?
5: Yeah, so I started running back in 74. I used to look at my brother's Runner's World magazine. (laughs) <laughs> and mm-hmm. Look at Mary Decker and Francie LaRue and all the runners. And I thought, oh, I want to be a runner. So I kind of willed myself into running. I used to go down to the track at Washington High School here in San Francisco and just run around the track until I could make a mile and then make two miles. Then I just started running around, you know, fun runs, DSE races starting in 74. In wow. Wow. And have you, have you had any,
2: like, major times where you've been off the road or have you pretty much been running ever since?
5: Well, I, yeah, I ran all through high school and I kind of burned out a little bit. So when I got to college, I didn't run competitively. Um, but I kept running and running and running. And then I started getting into triathlons and I do some bike racing, bicycle racing, and I do swim races. So I've been running now for, uh, just about 50 years. Yeah. Nonstop. That's so cool, Peggy. Peggy, I have a, we put a note in here.
2: Sarah put a note in here that you used to run with a tennis racket for protection. Is that right? Yeah.
5: No, so what happened is back in the day, you know, I'd run down the street and people would just like whistle at me or go, hey, where are you going? Why are you in such a hurry? So it was embarrassing. Harry he was like, you know, developing 14 years old, you know, so I would get a tennis racket and um we'll put on my sweatsuit and walk down to the track and put the oh. tennis racket down and run because it was not acceptable to be a runner in 1974, hmm. a runner. Well, oh, so
3: that wasn't for protection. No, it was, that was for you. were. Oh, I was embarrassed okay.
5: because people were like, what are you running for? Really? So I, I and oh. no one told me to do it, but you know, when you're 14, you do dumb things, but I just bring it down to the, because there were tennis courts at, at Washington mm-hmm. High School. Um, yeah. So people thought I was just going to play tennis. And that, again, that was acceptable. Running was not. Really, people whistle. It doesn't happen anymore, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody whistles at me,
3: for
2: sure, but... Awesome, awesome. So you
3: ran in 1977, as we mentioned, and then you ran again um, this year. And so how did the two experiences compare? So much has changed, and yet running is still kind of as simple as it's always been.
5: Right, well, 77 was right at the start of like the running boom, you know, in the country when everyone started running. What's different between now and then is I used to go out running in San Francisco and we knew all the runners. And I, in fact, I looked at the results list from 1977 and I knew most of the hundred women. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But now I look at the list and I do. you know, I I did know a lot of the runners because I'm an Impala and there were 27 Impalas who ran. And I I know a lot of the runners, but I, I knew more of the runners in 77 than I knew now because running is such a big deal now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What was, and do you remember, I mean, the atmosphere, was it similar or do you, you know, just as far as just the excitement? I mean, I can imagine just having everybody watching you
5: run a mile, like you could, <laughs> the, yeah. the adrenaline has got to be pretty uh, intense. Well, in 77, I hardly remember. That was 47 years ago, right? So, sure, sure. Um, and our prom was the night before, and uh a <laughs> frequently told story. But we all just drove over to San Francisco State where it was in 77, and we changed our clothes in the car above the track and then ran whatever time we were supposed to run. So several of the women that I went to the prom with ran in the relay in 77. Wow.
3: And, and that's on, like, no sleep, oh, I imagine? No sleep.
5: We had some campaign, that kind of thing. This time seemed a little more structured and there were more people out watching. I mean, Sean did a great job. He had a a food truck, a coffee truck, and Nike came out with shoes. It was a little bit more promoted this time. And it seemed like there were more people out there watching than any of the four. This is my fourth time. Any of the four, this was the most publicized. And he really met his goal of making it, Really an event, you know?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: It was fun. That's great. Well, so you were the anchor leg, like we
2: said. So you got the baton after nine hours the race had been going on. Did you know at that point that you had the record locked up or were you still nervous about? your performance
5: well sean was a little bit tight-lipped about how we were doing (laughs) he does i think it turns out we had 11 minutes to spare, and and he doesn't know me well i was not going to go out there and run 11 minutes but you know sarah is pregnant five months pregnant and he did pull me aside and he said you know something happens with sarah we're going to put someone else in who's faster than you you know because and then in hindsight, I, I understood that. I mean, what if Sarah got a cramp or something and she had to walk? Who knows? So he had a backup out there prepared who could run much faster because I'm no longer running in the 520 to 530 range like I did before. Mm-hmm. So he what, didn't tell me really how much time I had. I mean, I was going to run as fast as I could in any case. Sure, but sure it, it was. wasn't until Sarah rounded or started rounding her third lap that I put my
2: number on. Cause you knew that she was going to, she was running smooth and strong. So you knew that you were going to
5: be, be in there. I, I understood that, Hey, we wanted to break the record no matter what. So if something did happen and she had to slow down, I, I was happy to let this substitute jump in for me. No problem. Yeah.
2: Well, and yeah. so we have to ask how, how, what was your mile time, Peggy? Oh, Wow. Great That's job. Great. Wow.
5: Yeah. I sub eight and you know, then I got started getting a little nervous so I, I didn't really train extra I just went to a couple of track workouts with the Impalas that's way slower than I used to be but that's how it is when you're aging you know
3: wow. seven anything is really impressive I think a lot of our listeners will be like wow that's great that's a fast mile yeah. and you broke the record significantly so you had nothing to worry
2: about in the end
5: right it was a great experience really
2: Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Relay Chatter.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Well, let's move on to Sarah
3: as fellow Sarah. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and so as Peggy mentioned, Sarah, you were five or six months pregnant, five months pregnant at the time, I was right? five and a half months pregnant. Five and a half months pregnant. Yep. You ran a 618, so you had no problems. So tell us a little bit about your running background and how you got involved in this relay team.
1: Um, I started running competitively in high school. I was a 400 meter, 200 meter runner. I love sprinting. I played a whole bunch of sports. So when I went to college, I was at a D3 school and I actually started off playing tennis on the Oberlin College team and I didn't love it. So after my freshman year, I took a break from sports, but by the end of my junior year, I had somehow crossed paths with the track coach who was like, you really got to come out for track. So by my senior year of college, I was running again. I mean, it's just the kind of thing that if you're a runner, it makes you so happy. There's nothing that uh, hits the spot quite the same. And then mm. after graduating, it took me a couple of years to sort of figure out what running looked like as a non-school-based part of my life because running shorter distances is hard to do once you're no longer in high school or college. And so I had to kind of convert my passion to longer distances. So I ran a couple of half marathons in my 20s, not super competitively, but it wasn't difficult for me to get
2: in that shape. Sarah, tell us, like, what did it mean to be part of such a significant moment for women while running while pregnant?
1: So I had heard about it before I knew I was pregnant, and I had really wanted to do it because I was feeling super speedy, Yeah, running some sub-six minutes on the track with my team and with my coach. And then right when I got the email from Sean was right around when I found out I was pregnant. So I was I started second-guessing everything and feeling like I had no idea what my body would look like in five months or feel like and what running would be. I uh, was grateful at that point to have had this gig lined up coaching these high school kids because I was able to run with these 17-year-old boys on the track.
2: Oh, yeah. And
1: that really kept me fit for that first couple of months of my pregnancy. Um, And I also felt like it was really important to show these youngsters how strong women are and how strong pregnant women can be.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I know Sean really supported my involvement, and that meant a lot. Once he told me that I didn't need to be shooting for a five thirty, I was able to relax because that was like still my training goal. But it started feeling more and more impossible. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike a typical training scenario where things are getting easier and more attainable, like every week. And especially every month that progressed, things became harder for me. Mm -hmm. And especially between months four and five, my body really changed. The like ability for my legs to turn over the same way, my abdominals were no longer doing their job, and I started to just really have a harder time hitting speeds. But not not too hard. It was still coming Mm -hmm. together in practices, so I was able to tell Sean with confidence that I knew I could go six thirty at least. Mm -hmm. But I myself really wanted more than that. Yeah. Almost to the extent that I was like afraid to say my goal times out loud, but I ended up running a 618 on the day. My straw was and it was even faster. So I like to listen to that time. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you ran 618 and I mean, that's so impressive. And I know that Being pregnant, and you said there might've been some other pregnant women and women who are breastfeeding on the side. And it just seems like such a significant moment for women runners. And, you know, we hear now all the time about pros coming back from pregnancy and postpartum, but like, it's also nice to see like the, I mean, you're not an average runner, but like the non-pro runners also celebrated in this way and being a world record holder, it's such a neat thing to say. And like, you can say, I did that while pregnant.
1: And having to like let go Mm -hmm. of all of these other races that I was eyeing, Mm -hmm it was really meaningful Mm. to me to be able to participate in this because this is something that you'll really never forget. Your name's going down in the books. So even though I had to lose some things, I really gained an incredible experience. And when Peggy ran, I would say she and I probably had the most crowd support of the day um, because people have been sitting in the stands for a while. It was pretty quiet for some of the other runners, but folks were really hyped up when we were out there. Mm. And I feel like I was able to open up to like a whole quantum field of energy that helped me fly around the track in a way that wasn't just about my physical ability, but truly mm-hmm. being a part of something greater. And it fueled yeah, me. Sure. And then when Peggy finished, it was a really emotional moment for all of us. I think we came together as a team. We didn't feel like strangers anymore. Some people were crying there were a lot of hugs, tons of high fives and... Uh, I hope she felt it. I think she did. There are definitely some great photos from when she like rounds the final bend and everybody just like formed this sort of like corridor around her, just cheering her Mm -hmm. on. And it was a super powerful moment to be a part of. Yes,
2: for sure. Yeah. So Peggy, what was it like? What did it feel like as you, I mean, that's a, that's a big moment of glory, right? With people cheering for you and being number 100. What did that feel like? It, It was,
5: it was like, I was up on stage and I was this felt like I was given such an honor you know when Sean first called me and he said yeah you know, you're going to run and I said oh I can't run 520 anymore you know all that and then you know it's just the closer and closer it got to the event and then as the event was happening it would just became just just a a fantastic experience that's all I can say being a part of all these fast accomplished women Again, many most were mothers. And just Mm -hmm. I just felt like, God, this is just a great honor. And I ran anchor before in the nineteen ninety-five one. And all the the three previous I did, I was not a mom yet. I wasn't even married. (laughs) I didn't marry till ninety-nine. So to have one of my daughters there and my husband there, it just it was just a great proud moment for me.
3: Yeah. Such a moment. Yeah. So Sean, (laughs) we imagine you're still recovering from the planning of this relay since it just happened not too long ago, but do you have any other fun record setting ideas up your
4: sleeve? Uh, I actually think there should be an attempt at establishing the non-binary world record in the event. Yeah. I think this event was, it kind of really surprised me at how meaningful it was to the women who ran it. I mean, I knew women were excited about it and would want to do it. And I had this notion, like, everybody wants to have a part of a world record. But to see posts on Instagram where people were saying, you know, I ran in college, but this was the best day of running I've ever had in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was just really overwhelming to me how much it meant. But these were a lot of women who've had the opportunity to run in a recognized way before. And so I think, you know, for a community like non-binary runners, um, I think would be even more poignant for them to be able to be part of a team, perhaps for the first time Mm -hmm. of people that they feel were really, they were part of and represented by. So that's what I think would be the, the next natural Group or record to go for. That's a great, mm-hmm. a
2: great, great idea, and I love the inspiration behind it. Um, have you been verified by the Guinness Book of World Records yet, or did you have a rep there? Or how does that
4: work? Uh, there's a submission process, and there's a lot of things that have to get uploaded. They have interesting requirements that are very tedious, and it'll take a it'll take a few months for them to uh, to basically grant the record status. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, thanks, you guys, Uh, Sean, Sarah, and Peggy. It was really fun to talk to you. Congratulations again. I mean, I'm sure that the the legwork, planning a year out, all the the fact that it all came to fruition must have just felt amazing on race day. And it was really, it was fun to see it spread around social media, which is Mm -hmm. why we wanted to talk to you all because it's just, it's fun to to hear how these things come into action. Totally. Yeah, thanks, guys.
4: Well, thanks for having us.
2: Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Guess what? You always have a guide for becoming a more efficient, less injury-prone runner. And it's not the splits on your GPS or your perceived rate of exertion. It's actually your heartbeat, which is with you all day long. With our Heart and Soul programs, which use your heart rate as your guide, you'll learn and personalize your individual heart rate zones, ensuring that your easy runs stay plenty easy while your harder segments push you appropriately. In other words, heart and soul meets you exactly where you are right now and helps continue down the path of being a stronger, faster runner. So whether you want to learn the heart rate basics or train for a BQ marathon, we've got a heart and soul program for you. Check out the link in the show notes. Our podcast today was produced by Barry Medor of Fire on the Bluff in St. Paul, Minnesota.